Welcome to another exciting episode of the Atomic Podcast. I am your host, Eves the Cannon Sandin. My co-host, Ephraim Guzman, my heterosexual life mate, is on assignment today. Um, today's interview, we are there's just another one. We have another great interview with Mr. Stan Efferning, the Rhino Stan Efferning. Um, he's a bodybuilder, power lifter. It's going to be a great interview. You know, Ephraim does these interviews. With, uh, he's going to give you about nutrition, you know, his life story, backstory, everything under the sun about the Rhino. Now, before we get into this interview, I want to give a humongous shout out to my guy, Rob Segarra, for those interesting intros that he has done for us in the beginning of our interviews for the past couple of episodes. Now, if you want to get in contact with him, it is facebook.com slash robsegarra1. Now, you can go that to his Facebook page, chime in, talk to him. He has a bunch of great music that you can listen to. You can speak to him, whatever the case may be. Again, it is Robert Segarra. It's facebook.com slash Robert Segarra one. Um, let's get into it. Atomic Podcast. It's time for another episode of the Atomic Podcast. This week's guest is Stan the Rhino Efforting. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. You are now in the mix with the Atomic Podcast, where we Intellectual stimulation by way of mobile devices. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Atomic Podcast, where we're coming to you live from the Upper West Side, where we blow up the news on a verbal scale. My guest today, he's a bodybuilder. He's a former Mr. Olympia in 2010. He's an author. He's a nutritionist. And he's a record holder for multiple titles. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the rhino, Stan Efferding. Stan, how are you doing today? Hey, good man. Thanks. Did I, did I just become Mr. Olympia in the introduction there? That's great. I never knew that. <laughs> I won the Mr. Olympia World's Strongest Bodybuilder Show, but I've yeah, never been on I'm, the Olympia stage. Yes, yes. That's what, I'm sorry. That's what I meant. I forgot to add that. No worries. I just, uh, I'll take it. If you want to say it, I'll take it. Uh, <laughs> it's like every time I do a powerlifting meet, by the time I get home, all the, all the weights went up. People are retelling the story, the big fish story. I like that. Yeah. Well, I'm saying um, um, before I get this, I get, um, give a breakdown of the records that you have because there's multiple records. So. Yeah, you know, I set a um, boy, I set the world record for the uh, the biggest squat ever with no knee wraps in the 275 pound weight class. I did an 854 pound squat with no knee wraps, and I think that same day the total was the biggest total ever for uh, a raw no knee wrap total it was uh, 2226. Uh, for the three, three, three lift total, I think it was an 854 squat and a 606 bench and, uh, Black Air of the Dead. No, but it was somewhere north of 800 pounds or something like that. And then I had the record for, um, the 275, so the all-time world record total, uh, with knee wraps was 2303. Um, and then Eric Lillybridge, the kid came around and smacked that total, so I'd set that record and it hadn't been hadn't been beaten in over 40 years, and not but a year later, Eric Lillybridge came around and beat, beat that record, so I'm number two there, but I'm one of 12 people in the world to total over 2,300 raw, so I did that at 45 years old. Oh my God, that's so impressive, and your name is etched forever in stone, so no one could ever take that away from you, even though, you know, someone has, I guess, 
I guess the record holder is someone new now, but you always will have that place in history, you know? Yeah, for the knee wrap total, uh, Eric Lillibridge is now the 275 world record holder. But for the knee wrap total, I still got that one in the spot. I'm holding on for dear life. There's some great lifters uh, over the last, seems to just the last four or five years. There's been a big number of, uh, uh, a lot more involvement in raw lifting. A lot of young guys coming out doing some huge stuff, and it's been exciting to see. Yeah, it's different because it's like, you know, you know, there's a lot of change in history. Like, you know, they get younger and younger, and then the training regimen is so different nowadays, you know. So it's, it's you know, I'm sure it's going to get better better years down the road. Yeah, I like to see the resurgence, and I like to see all the young people interested because that, that's good for the longevity of the sport. You used to go to a powerlifting meet 10 years ago, and everybody would be over 60 years old, you know, telling war stories or what have you. <laughs> uh, and then we had that. down into this um just take me back to the portland oregon days um um where did you grow up exactly how was living in oregon like oh it was good you know that was uh, that was suburbia that was one of those places where you you don't have to lock your doors and you leave uh, your car doors your house unlocked it doesn't matter you know it was, it was an easy life it was portland oregon i was out on the west side there uh towards beaver and sunset Loa in that uh, hillsboro that area out there and it was, uh, you know, that's where I was born and raised, and I uh, stayed there until I went to college at the University of Oregon um, in uh, in '85. So that was a that was a good spot to grow up in. It was just kind of the the Cleaver Beaver sort of, you know, suburbia neighborhood, uh, easy easy upbringing. So it was a good good start for me. No, you earned a scholarship to play soccer at the University of Oregon where you reportedly study psychology, what led you to bodybuilding and powerlifting? Well, my scholarship was to Warner Pacific, and when I went and uh, played with those guys, coached to put on a little weight. I was only about 135 pounds when I got to college. And so he had me go to the weight room that summer, and I started training, and I told him I could play soccer. I wanted to lift weights. I was, I was just hooked. And so then I went down to the University of Oregon, uh, and trained there, and uh, just played uh, club ball down there. But I, you know, I was lifting a lot. I earned my degree in psychology, and then uh, I was so interested in in, uh, in the fitness and industry that I spent another two years down there studying exercise science, uh, you know, anatomy, physiology, kinesiology, and biology, and uh, all of those uh, physics and chemistry, and all those courses, so I could learn more about training because I was so. Uh, interested in it at the time. I wanted to compete. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to try to grow. Oh, man. Um, um, did, did, but, but, um, specifically with soccer, though, um, how much, uh, how much was you into soccer? Was it, like, a religious thing to you? Or? Oh, yeah. I played since I was six years old. We had the same team, some of the same kids that were on my team when I was six years old, the same coach, uh, were on our high school varsity team winning state championships. So, we, uh, we had a good crew that, uh, that was what we did. You know, all I've traveled all over doing that, all over the state, all over the country, went to Hawaii and played in tournaments. I mean, soccer was our life growing up. Nowadays, though, it's funny how good the kids are in comparison, how well-trained and well-skilled 
Because wow. the kids are just so, they're so much more skilled in all sports, it's that way. Even my kids down here, you know, I've, I've got them with specialty trainers for football and strength and conditioning. Um, and they're just, they're so much better uh, in high school than we were back, you know, 30-some years ago. Yeah, it definitely gets better and better with different generations, definitely. Yep. Um, 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 you did very well. You won the Mr. Oregon competition, placing in the top ten in several other competitions. Was powerlifting and bodybuilding everything you thought it would be at this point in your career? Because you then ab abruptly quit to pursue business interests. Yeah, you know, I, I was training with a pro bodybuilder right about the end of my career, and I just kind of realized that there was a big difference between me and him. <laughs> and I, I had made quite a bit of progress. I had competed in the USA's. I'd won the Emerald Cup up in Seattle, which is a national qualifier. I placed in the junior USA's. I was kind of on my way, but at some point I just realized as many years as I put into it, and as far away I still was from, uh, you know, a, a pro bodybuilder. At the time, you got to remember, way back then, they only gave away two pro cards a year to anybody over 198 pounds. Mm -hmm. they had, there was no super heavyweight. It was it was heavy and supers so was everybody over 198. You got a pro card for each class of the nationals and one pro card for the overall winners at the USA's. So that's how hard it was to win a, a pro card back then. You know, Flex Wheeler and the rest of those guys, they used to compete against each other head for head year after year after year. And the top 10 guys were on the cover of magazines, had sponsorships, any one of them would have won today's USA or Nationals by a long shot. You know, the top 10 guys at the USA's or Nationals back in the early 90s would have smashed just about everybody on the USA and National stage today. And that just tells you that there was so many more people competing for so few uh, pro spots that it, it was a lot more difficult back then. So there came a point at which I just made an assessment that, that I, I had invested enough time and energy into that and I, I didn't see the over the horizon of pro card for me. So I, um, you know, like you say, I, I branched off and started a, a business and I worked real hard for many, many years to develop that that uh, part of my life and was real successful. So it was a good decision for me at the time. All right. And, um, and then um, at age 30, you returned to bodybuilding, winning the super heavyweight class at the Seattle Emerald Cup in 2006. Your career seemed stronger and more successful at this time than it had been previously. You won competitions and set a few records. What changed for you as an athlete? Was it better focus, dedication? What's your what's your take on that? I just learned a lot more. I, I had more time, more resources. I had more money. Uh, yeah, I had more knowledge. And so when I reinvested myself into training, I was I was able to do things better than I had ever done them before. With more discipline, more consistency, uh, more focus, more professional assistance. You know, when I wanted to be a pro bodybuilder, I just called Flex Wheeler and said, Look, you know, I was fortunately I had done well in business. I had the opportunity to do that. Yeah. I packed a couple of bags and I went down to San Jose and I lived in an extended stay across from the gym and for a couple of months and Flex trained me every single day, twice a day. Yeah. So, you know, I, I did have a lot, uh, you know, a lot more information, more time, more money uh, to invest into, into training. I was training two a days, napping twice a day, eating eight meals a day, sleeping 10 hours a night. Uh, you know, it was just a complete and total investment into that, and that's why I got so much better so, uh, so rapidly. And um, weight training takes a lot of dedication. Um, how much time did you have to devote to training each day? You know, when I was competing uh, bodybuilding, it would be, you know, we'd do two hours a day. We'd do an hour in the morning, an hour at night. It was just oh, wow. training. Okay. And the dieting part was, the, you know, eating enough food 
wow. you know, it was fueling those workouts. It was a, it was a whole different process of, uh, you know, Flex did what I think now is called reverse dieting. Uh, and he had me many years ago eating up into a training cycle so that when I did start dieting for a show, I wasn't having to restrict very many calories. I could eat almost 5,000 calories a day, 4,500 calories a day, and still lose body fat because of the intensity of the training and because of how fast my metabolism was as a result of reverse dieting and getting my, my calories and meals up well before I had to start, um, you know, quote-unquote, cutting for a show. Oh, my God. Like, wait a minute, so how, how much steak did you eat? Like... Over four pounds a day, we eat uh, ten to twelve ounces each meal. At least six of those meals would be steak. Sometimes we work up twelve, fourteen ounces, depending on the intensity of the day. Each meal, six meals a day, uh, and the other two meals would probably be chicken. Those would be post-workout meals where I didn't eat as much fat because I was pulling in more carbs post-workout. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what six meals a day at twelve ounces? Uh, you know, it's seventy-eight ounces of meat. That's uh, got to be uh, five pounds almost. Oh, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. My gosh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did that every single day. Yeah, I was training with Keith Williams at the time. Mm-hmm. I had to be pro Keith Williams, and we'd go down to Costco probably every other day yeah. and haul out of there with, uh, you know, 40 pounds of meat. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's, 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 <laughs> that's shocking. That's so shocking. Um, yeah, it was two grand a month just for steak. And that's, <laughs> that's why when people come to me and ask me about training programs and they, and they quibble over the cost of my of my uh, pre contest prep. I, I just I raise my hands. I'm like, <laughs> you can't afford what I'm about to tell you to do. Wow. And it's a shame because that's what I believe. You know, when people eat ground turkey, it's usually an expense issue. Yeah. It's usually a cost issue when they're eating egg whites and that and have you. You cannot get the same result, but sometimes you can't afford fifteen hundred dollars a month worth of meat. Yeah. It's just a fact. I was fortunate to be in the position where I, those weren't. I could pull out all the stops. Yeah, well, I just pinch my pennies. I was yep, gonna ask, um, um, how big is your refrigerator? Because that's a, that's a lot of meat. <laughs> yeah, that's why we had to go every other day fill yeah. the fridge, and uh, we had to keep frequency became the uh, important thing about getting food in the house because we were eating so much so often. Oh, um, did have has the meat ever gotten old, or have you ever bought that you didn't get to eat yet? Oh, I don't eat that much now. Yeah. You know, I'm not at that level now. I'm not competing now. I work to compete again. Uh, you know, I would need to do that again. Yeah. And that, I would start a good five, six months out uh, getting my metabolism trained for that kind of volume and, and frequency of eating so that when I did start dieting, I, my, my metabolism was prepared and, and I could easily lose fat with just very little restriction. Uh, but, uh, you know, at the time, I, I, this is a funny story because I, I told Flex one time, I said, my teeth are starting to hurt. They're, they're, they're actually getting, feeling like they're a little loose from, from chewing on steak all the time. Wow. And so I, I threw in some chicken and some fish for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And I went to the gym, and of course, Flex trained with me twice a day every day. And we'd, we'd look at me post-workout, we'd weigh me in every day. And so about two days of eating chicken and fish, I went to the gym, and Flex looks at me, he goes, what's going on? I'm like, what do you mean? And he goes, you're, you're flat. He goes, you're, you're looking smaller. You lost two pounds. And I said, well, my teeth were hurt, and I was eating steak, and so I switched to chicken and fish. And he goes, suck it up. Go back to steak. Because you're shrinking. <laughs> and it was just that quick. You know, his eye noticed in two days I lost two or three pounds just switching to fish and chicken from steak. And, and, it, and, and you know, and it's different noticing from you as the average Joe. You could definitely see it on you, right? You definitely saw it. Like, wow, you lost two pounds that quick. Oh, yeah. You start flattening out. I mean, and Jay Cutler said it himself in an interview. He said, but he's never been able to, to gain or maintain enough size 
uh, on his body, drinking shakes or eating chicken and fish. He always needed red meat, lots of red meat in his diet. And it's a consistent uh, thing that we preach, Flex and I, when we work with athletes, is you need to immediately incorporate uh, plenty of red meat. Because you got that heme iron, you got the cricket and the B vitamins, you know, it's, it's cholesterol-based, animal protein. It just does so much more for your body to grow on. It's not comparable at all to chicken. Have you ever seen a big chicken? <laughs> no. <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> you know, egg whites. Yeah, that's body shrinking. That's not body building. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, in um, 2010, you won uh, what I meant to say was the Mr. Olympia 2010 World's Strongest Profes- Professional Bodybuilder. And in 2013, you broke the old world total record in the 275-pound class. Normally, as athletes get older, their talents and skill begin to show signs that they're on the wane, but yours continue to improve. I have a feeling your new and improved skills have a lot to do with your interest in the total experience, meaning your interest in other aspects of bodybuilding and weightlifting. Is this true? Yeah, I was able to train smarter. I just worked with great athletes. After Flex trained me for my pro show, mm-hmm. I, turned, I turned right around and I drove down to... Uh, Sacramento and I trained with Mark Bell from Super Training Gym, the owner of Power Magazine. The guy yeah. had bigger, stronger, faster. Yeah. Um, you know, and I stayed there for, for two months. I lived in an extended stay across from his gym and I trained with him every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I learned a whole lot about how to be smarter uh, in my training and of course I was still really consistent and disciplined behind the scenes. That was always the advantage for me. I was able to sleep all I needed to sleep. I was able to eat all I needed to eat of the right foods. And I had the best training programs for the type of competing that I was doing uh, from people who had, you know, an enormous amount of experience. So, yeah, as I got older, I, uh, I, didn't, I didn't drop off. Fortunately, I was, you know, getting better because I was smarter, more disciplined, and more uh, positioned to do everything I needed to do. I didn't have to make any compromises. Do you use the what the the, the thing that Mark Bell has the slingshot right? That's what it's called. Yeah, you know what's interesting about that is Mark uh, he had this idea in his mind about the slingshot. Yeah. When I was training with him, I was getting a lot of joint soreness because I went from competing in a bodybuilding show at 250 uh, to turning right around the next week and start lifting heavyweights with Mark, and we had a seven week time period under which I was going to go compete in a powerlifting meet. So we were moving kind of fast. And I was lifting a lot of heavy weights that I wasn't used to lifting because with Plex we do more volume mm-hmm. for bodybuilding. And my joints started getting sore. My elbows, my wrists started getting sore. And I was going to a chiropractor about every other day, getting an electric stem. And I was you know, trying to do everything I could just to keep myself healthy behind the scenes so I could continue to train the way I needed to train. Well, Mark comes in and he brings that slingshot in. Something he fashioned up kind of at home. Um, and he put it on me and we started using it. And it allowed me to feel the heavy loads where I was strong, but as I descended through the movements and I got into a position where most of the elbow pain or shoulder pain would occur, the load was absorbed by some of the slingshot. And so it, it made it so that my tendonitis got better. Mm-hmm. So I used that as an injury prevention tool or a way to continue to train without all the pain. And then we were also able eventually to use it for overload. I could put over 600 pounds on the bar and feel what it felt like at the top. Wow. And now the bottom where you would, you know, traditionally be weaker, the slingshot would help you through that weak point. So it's kind of like overload training. It's like doing negatives or spotted reps or something, but you can do it with the slingshot. So it was multifaceted. When I, had, when, when I realized so much results from it, I think Mark was convinced that, that um, yeah, this is something. 
so do you still use it to this day, even though you're not competing anymore? I still got one in my bag, yeah. Cause, <laughs> you know, I'm 47 now, so every time I get under uh, a bar, there are some shoulder, you know, strain and what have you. So I was just using it with Mark last week. I think we shot some videos of it. It just allows you to lift more weight uh, for more reps with less pain. Yeah. And that's, that's a good thing for me at, at my age. Um, I have a question for you. Um, it's well known that bodybuilders consume thousands more calories per day than non-athletes. But is it all about the calories, though? Well, I tell you, that's the major component. And, you know, everybody's different. I, you know, you hate coming out and, and painting with a broad brush yeah. about people's programs because you never know who your listener is, bodybuilder, mm-hmm. powerlifter, you know, physique competitor. You never know their age and uh, their any kind of diet issues that they may have, uh, allergies, and, uh, you know, anything like that. So, which speak in general terms, that's the primary factor, calories in, calories out. That's the biggie. That's the number one. And then behind that, uh, we start breaking down the macros, of course, protein, fat, carbs. Mm-hmm. But when you're at a calorie surplus, uh, if your protein's adequate, and generally what a ground per pound is plenty, uh, you're going to grow. And that's kind of where we try and keep most of our athletes most of the time in that surplus because then you're not restricted. And, um, you know, during that time, you probably don't even need any supplements because you're at a calorie surplus. How, how essential do you believe diet is to a successful career as a bodybuilder or weightlifter? Well, I think it's huge, but here's the problem. People get into diets and they start thinking about restriction. Yeah. I don't look at diet that way. I don't look at diet as restricting. I'm always trying to fuel the body for growth. Okay. I'm trying to train at such an intensity that that drives the whole process. It elevates the metabolism, uh, you know, provides the stimulus for growth, and then I utilize food, uh, and hopefully as much of it as I possibly can, um, to fuel growth. So, well, I hate the word diet, and particularly when I hate is is when people start sacrificing nutrient density. Um, and by that, I mean, um, you know, eating a chicken breast instead of steak. Mm-hmm. Now you're compromising nutrient density. The micros become important. The iron, the uh, the creatine, the B vitamins, the mm-hmm. the thing that you know, the cholesterol, the things that are are so valuable in red meats that get. Uh, sacrificed when calories start getting restricted people will start restricting uh, nutrient density the micros and to me that's a, a bad direction to go I would rather work harder and eat more than uh, eat less any day of the week yeah you know it's it's hard because um, I guess you know the, the the elephant in the room word diet. You know people won't eat certain things, but as yourself, you're not competing anymore. Do you like still eat like a Snickers bar once in a while, or do you have a milkshake? Like, do you? Yeah, I guess you could classify me in the if it fits your macros guy. I I can eat about what I want because it, even though I'm not competing, I still train extremely hard. Yeah. I mean, I was in the other day pod squatting 600 and then doing uh, 350 for four sets of 20. Jesus on squats, that's that's a typical leg workout for me. And so, when you're doing something like that, you can eat just about anything you want, and you're not going to get fat because the workload is so demanding. And I do that twice a week. Wow. And then even on upper body stuff, I'll superset synergistic body parts and keep my rest periods low, so my heart rate. 
pin-up, and I rest for 30 seconds. By the time I get back to incline dumbbell press, I've had a two-minute rest. So I'm just as strong. The oxygen debt doesn't, doesn't compromise my, my chest strength, you know, because I'm not doing too many chest work or chest exercises one after the other after the other, and then your weights start decreasing. Uh, and I don't introduce any stimulus. It's kind of an important factor on this whole topic. Mm-hmm. I always try to send my body the same message. If I'm trying to get stronger or bigger or whatever, you'll never see me on a treadmill doing any kind of steady-state cardio or endurance work to burn fat because it sends a completely different message to the muscles mm-hmm. than weightlifting. If you want some cardio, you need to still send the same message for growth, so you're going to need to use hip training. So I'll sprint stairs or I'll ride a recumbent bike doing a 10-second or a 20-second all-out explosive movement under some sort of uh, load, resistance. So I might put a 15 or 17 tension on a recumbent bike and sprint as fast as I can for 20 seconds and then sit there and rest for a minute. Now that's the right message, sending the body. Now you're not, the body's not breaking down muscle tissue to fuel steady-state cardio. It's actually stimulating the hormones and the the muscle tissue to continue to grow, but it also helps with active recovery. So now you're recovering from workouts faster, increases your blood volume and your red blood cell count, uh, increases your cardiovascular fitness. So now you're, uh, again, recovering faster from workouts. You can train more frequently. Uh, and that's all. You have less delayed onset muscle soreness. You metabolize more calories faster. Uh, all of that's of benefit to the bodybuilder and powerlifter. So that's kind of how I, I program all my training to send the same message to my body. No. Does does on um, protein like you know there's everybody that has their protein shakes and then you know sometimes it's like a meal replacement. Does those necessarily help or those just a lot of gimmicks? Like how how truthful is the proteins and the creatines that you buy at a GNC or something like that? Well, now we're in the the, the game is is what's best? Yeah, food's best. If I'm gonna pick the 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 best thing, I'm gonna pick food. So I go to the gym and and, I, and I'm looking at a leg extension machine and looking at a squat rack. Mm-hmm. Where am I going to invest my energy? If I if I have a choice on which one's going to give me the greatest return, I'm going to choose the squat rack every time. Mm-hmm. And now with food is kind of the same for me. The difference between red meat and and chicken, I always pick the red meat. Mm-hmm. Well, supplements the same thing. It's a supplement. Now if you can't get a meal, or if you have a um, a meal that's not sufficient, if you're traveling and you got to go get a you know, jump into a McDonald's or something and get a, a chicken breast and, yeah. um, you know, do you throw a protein shake in there? Sure. Maybe that's a good way to augment a meal. I would never use a protein powder in place of a meal. Mm-hmm. Maybe post-workout you jam one down with some carbohydrates, but an hour later you should be eating. Yeah. Eating food is, is number one. I didn't take a single shake or a single supplement when I won my pro card or when I set my world record. Not wow. one. Because I ate all my food. Yeah. And the shake would have been an inferior meal. Now, in the absence of a superior meal, a shake's just fine. If your time schedule doesn't afford you, or if you aren't somewhere where you can get a good meal and the, and the compromise would be, you know, a, a, a crappy meal, then maybe the, the shake is superior. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think there's any magic in those cans. I would rather get food because... It's more bioavailable. To me, it has a better mixture of the kinds of things that your body needs in concert, uh, you know, to grow. Whereas supplements, it's kind of a, uh, uh, it's like the difference in steak. You have heme iron mm-hmm. and in, uh, and in um, say, uh, 
much more absorbed and readily available for your body. You'll absorb all of it. You use all of it. In spinach, that's not the same. So there's a difference between a nutrient being in something and what your body can utilize and how efficiently and how effective it is. And uh, that's that, that's the same with supplements. You know, popping in some uh, vitamins into a, a, a sports supplement powder doesn't make it efficient. Mm-hmm. It's not what you take in; it's what your body utilizes. Oh, okay. Because you know, so I'm not a big I'm not a big supplement guy. At the end of the day, you know, I might throw in some stuff for a pre workout or something, uh, like a BCAA or a little carb powder or some water, mm-hmm. just to make sure my energy levels are good. But I'd be better off, you know, to make sure I'm hydrated, etc. Post-workout, I might drink something because it's light on my stomach and I want to get a few carbs in, um, what have you. But within an hour, I'm eating a meal. Like, I'm eating steak. <laughs> you know, I'm eating yeah. bison burger and, you know, whatever. I'm and carbs, rice, you know, I'm, I'm eating the food. Yeah. It's a diggy. Was it, like, like for example, like when you go to the gym and let's say you want to do something quick, do you eat like a white rice with steak or what's what's your meal after a workout? Like just Well, usually post-workout, if I'm, if I'm taking in carbs, I don't like to take in a lot of fats because I want the carbs absorbed quicker. I do like the insulin levels to be spiked post-workout. Uh, so, you know, usually it used to be a chicken breast and, and, and rice. Or I might just drink a chocolate milk, to be honest with you. It's affordable, it's readily available, it's cold, it's the convenience store next to any gym. Mm-hmm. Uh, just go grab a, a chocolate milk. You know, there's a lot of research to support the fact that that's a, that's a good 4 to 1 carb to protein ratio. It's got sodium in it, it's, it's a liquid, so you've got plenty of water in there. It's just kind of a good way to finish off the workout. Now, if you're all sensitive about your protein shake or you're allergic to uh, casein or you have a, you know, lactose intolerance, then, you know, you pick a different blend and you get yourself some carbs and some protein and, um, you know, I'm not a big stickler on the post-workout protein intake, like a lot of people, but, uh, I do believe if you're going to do two a days, you definitely going to want to start taking in some carbs post-workout so that your, uh, your glycogen stores are fueled for your subsequent bout that, that, that evening you want to be fresh and have good energy and you definitely want your muscles to be hydrated and full of water and salt and, and glycogen so when you're training you know the stimulus is better the pumps are better all good for hypertrophy you know um it was reported that um you know the, the, the swimmer michael phelps diet consisted of 12,000 calories per day then bradley cooper consumed 8,000 calories a day for a month to put 40 pounds for his role in american sniper at your most success at your most successful how many calories did you need to consume in order to compete at your level well powerlifting i usually try to take in quite a few extra calories i did want the extra body weight I wanted the extra um, bloat, I wanted the extra water, I wanted intracellular hydration to be maximized uh, uh, because it helps with compression. Uh, it, it just helps under load for your body to absorb uh, those big weights. It helps with your joints. Um, so I did eat quite a bit more. I was probably up around 6,000 6, calories or something when I was powerlifting or a little more, uh, sometimes 7,000. Mm-hmm. Bodybuilding, again, I use a reverse dieting concept, so I never really, uh, you know, uh, cut too many calories there either. I was probably up close to 5,000. I think that the lowest I ever went uh, dieting for my pro show was 4,000 calories a day. Wow. And and I was having a hard time maintaining my weight at that because the workload was, again, was two a days with a, an enormous amount of intensity and speed and volume throughout that workout. So uh, I don't think the Michael Phelps story is true. I think it's been largely discredited. I don't think that, that, that it's, there's ever really a need for people to get over 15, 18% body fat. I don't care if you're a powerlifter 
national champion for CrossFit just sucks on a gallon of whole milk most of the day and catches up with meals at night because he's training three times a day and doesn't want to be overloaded with food. So I'm not one over here trying to demonize particular foods. Mm -hmm. uh, milk would be one that would typically be demonized and, you know, saturated fats for so long have been demonized. And I think there's a lot of value to be had from cholesterol-based animal proteins. And, uh, you know, I've, I've relied on whole milk a lot in the past, so particularly when powerlifting. Um, there's a good weight on ectomorphs. Uh, you know, it just depends on the individual and how they respond to the foods. I, I can't prescribe a particular food. I ask the people what they typically eat and what feels good on them, and then I try and from there manipulate that so that they can get more of what they need and less of what I think might hinder their progress. Mm. How is your own 6,500-calorie diet different from the rest? Well, I would throw in more fats. You know, I'd add to Every now and then throw in some, uh, you know, certainly I would add butter to every every rice meal that I ate. Mm. Uh, I would have whole eggs and uh, well, even now when I'm, I'm just, I'm just staying fit at, uh, at 260. You know, I'm not trying to gain weight, but I'll still eat bacon and eggs in the morning because it's, it's such a nutrient dense meal. Uh, it's so high in all the things that, that I think I need to, uh, but I, I just don't pound down eight meals a day. I just eat five now. So I think most of most of what I ate powerlifting was just more of the same, mm -hmm. um, and I would I would put in a. Well, let me give you an example. I, I meet with guys all the time. I said I have a hard time putting on weight. And I said, okay. Well, how many meals a day do you eat? And I said, well, I eat five. And I said, okay. Well, add two cups of whole milk to each meal, and put two tablespoons of butter on your eggs. Mm. Well, five five meals a day. Uh, two cups of whole milk is 300 calories times five, there's 1,500 calories. Mm -hmm. And uh, two tablespoons of butter on your rice is another 200 calories times five, there's 1,000. I just added 2,500 calories a day to your diet plan. How hard is it to add two cups of milk and two tablespoons of butter to each of your five meals? Mm -hmm. That's not hard at all. Not at all. And, and, and that's before we even go to a sixth meal. So if you can't grow on that one little suggestion, which often many ectomorphs need, uh, that extra, those extra fats. Mm -hmm. um, then, you know, I, I don't know what to say. 2,500 calories a day. It's a, it's a simple, simple solution. How, how could one eat six meals a day? Because usually, like, the average person, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and they have, let's say, a nine-to-five type schedule. But, if like, you know how there's certain people that go to the gym because they want to look good for the summer, and then, you know, they eat a certain way, and then, you know, they're, they're, they're eating this way, and then they're trying to, I guess, have their rice and their steaks, and then they're having a shake in the morning. Like, what do you think about people who, doing, who are doing things that way? Like, how could they incorporate two extra meals as, a, as an average? Joe. Well, I don't think it's necessary. Here's what you have to understand. The difference between four meals and eight meals, if the calories are the same, there is no difference. Okay. Remember, calories is the, is the, is the be-all, end-all. That's, that's, that's where we start. That's the most important thing. Okay. Way down the list from there, we start working on macros, we start working on carb timing, you know, all that other stuff is really pales in comparison to calories in, calories out. It's just, just a fact. Mm -hmm. So now if you've got a guy that's eating five meals a day and he wants to to get, you know, maybe more fit on yeah. that five meals, then I'm pushing the workload and I'm trying to get more nutrient density out of those five meals. Mm -hmm. uh, he doesn't need to go to six. He doesn't need to go to seven. He doesn't need to go to eight meals. He just needs to get enough of what he needs in those five. The meal frequency is not, uh, it's just not something you need to focus on. Uh, I know historically, at least over the last five plus years, that 
I would eat that many meals is because I couldn't eat enough calories at each sitting throughout five meals. You know, if I'd eat, I could only stomach so many calories at each meal efficiently without staying bloated or, or taking too long to digest the food. So I would add extra meals just because I, I could only digest so much per meal. I see, I see. Um, what role does genetics play in bodybuilding and working out? Is it, you know, like, let's say if your dad was heavy set and your your body is a, like a, um, it's an endomorphic man, like, how could you lose a tire iron if your body is proportioned that way? Well, boy, you asked two different, totally different questions. Uh, you know, how do genetics, you talk about proportion, you talk about yeah. uh, your propensity to, to gain size and strength. Those are two completely different Okay, so just answer the role of genetics first. How does um, genetics play? Yeah, genetics, as far as proportion goes, I mean, you, you got what you got. You know, yeah. your height, your shape, wide waist, narrow waist, uh, your muscle belly tie-ins. I know people like to talk about um, using full range of motion movements uh, to lengthen their bicep, which is impossible. The muscle ties into the tendon where it ties into the tendon. You can't do anything about that. Arnold's biceps extend all the way to his forearm, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Branch Warren's start Because, you know, because sometimes genetics plays a part, you know what I'm saying? I guess a lot of people get discouraged because they'll know they won't be cut up like a Stan Efferding. But, you know, there's some people who, you know, like when people go to the gym, like they can't lose their stomach or they can't, you know, lose their, you know, jiggly arms. You know, it's hard for people to get that way. So, you know, yeah, I guess... But that's a totally different, that's a totally different avenue. Yeah. And, and, and I don't think the word there is can't. I just think sometimes I think people just... They don't step back and make an honest assessment about what their goals are and what their investment is in those goals. Anybody can get under 10% body fat. I don't care what your genetics are. It's just a matter of, of you know, consistency and, and being on the right program. And anybody can get over 200 pounds of muscle. Uh, I don't care what your genetics are. It's just a matter of you know, your investment in that goal and, and your consistency and, and perseverance. So, uh, now if you want to be a Mr. Olympian, you know, we're down into genetics again. Yeah. If you want to be, if you want to be jacked and tan, 
says. Yeah. Uh, that's that's an easy deal as long as you've got um, some some discipline and invest some time and energy and consistency into the, the three biggies: mm-hmm. sleep, eating, and training. You know, sleep, eating, training. You got to do those right mm-hmm. uh, consistently over an extended period of time, and you can reach you know an incredible level of fitness. No question. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. That's but I, amazing. I see people doing it wrong all the time. I just had a lady reach out to me, and her son's going to compete, uh, you know, in his first show coming up. And sure enough, the trainers got him on egg whites, white fish, two hours of cardio a day. You can't figure out why he isn't getting hard. Mm-hmm. It's completely the wrong message for a 17, 16, 17-year-old kid, you know, who's, who's natural and, and who now is probably metabolically compromised with a, uh, you know, a decreased testosterone, decreased uh, thyroid and everything else as a result of calorie restriction and over cardio. It's just, it's, you know, it's just terrible advice. So this kid might get frustrated and feel like he's going to give up because he, he can't do something or he just wasn't meant to do something, but he's got the, all the wrong advice. He's got some cholesterol back in the diet. He's got all the cardio. He's to, you know, focus on multi-joint and mass building movements. He needs to be able to recover from those workouts, do some hit training, uh, you know, and his body would change just in a matter of, You know, everybody is an expert on something, but not a master of everything, you know? And, um, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, coming from your experience from bodybuilding to weightlifting to nutrition, um, um, with all the knowledge you had, well, you have, I should say, now, um, do you feel yourself at Stan Efferding at 47 at this moment is a better Stan Efferding than he was at 37? Oh, yeah, by a long shot. Yeah, it's not even close. I've, I've done most of that, most of my success late in my career from the time I was 39 through, through now. And, yeah, I had my biggest powerlifting, you know, uh, total two years ago, and I, I, I retired from powerlifting, uh, fortunately, before I ended up getting cut on for some major injury. I think I, I extended my window of opportunity about as long as I could, and I, I kind of didn't want to be one of those guys that just kept going to competitions and lifting less and less every year and talking about my age. Yeah. So I, I, I completely redefined myself and, and you know, I, I dropped all that extra weight. I got back into bodybuilding condition and shape. Mm-hmm. Um, I do these these monstrous 20 set, you know, 20 rep squat workouts and sprinting stairs. My, my cardiovascular health is the best it's ever been. Uh, you know, I do my blood work regularly and my cholesterol and my blood pressure, everything else and blood sugars, everything's the best they've been in, in many, many, many years. So, you know, you redefine yourself, but I, I'm still pushing myself to do, you know, the big things. I, I squatted 600 the other day. I still bench over five. I deadlifted to almost 800 last week. So I still do some big stuff, but I do it with a whole different mindset that I'm going to do it, uh, uh, you know, kind of with a holistic approach where, where I'm healthy on all avenues. You know, I keep my body healthy. So right now, like, working out is not like a job. It's fun for you. Like, you know. It's fun for me, yeah. I started going back to the gym and doing stuff that I enjoyed doing, yeah. stuff that didn't hurt. And then gradually, you know, my, my flexibility got better. My uh, uh, joint problems improved. You know, do a little ART here and there, do some more mobility. 
my my I guess well my final question for you what's next for Stan the Rhino Efferding what's next oh I tell you I don't know I, you know as far as competing I don't really have anything on the horizon mm-hmm. I'm invited down to the GPC Worlds in uh, Australia in a couple of months and they want me to pull and I'll probably go down there and deadlift 800 pounds that's cool that's the goal you know that's, yeah. a, <laughs> that's on the horizon uh, you know I set some personal goals all the time I still always track all of my training, all of my diet, all of my body weight, my, um, you know, everything. I keep track of everything, and so I'm still setting goals in the gym. You know, I just bought a squat at 600, so now I'm like, oh, I could probably bought a squat at 700. You know, I, I go to the gym, and I, I do three sets of, of uh, 20 reps with 315 or 345, and now I'm thinking, I could probably do that with 405. So I set little mini goals for myself. I always have some something I'm doing to push myself to a, a higher level of fitness. But right now, mostly, I'm, I'm you know, on the business end. Uh, I'm, I'm just training for fun and really enjoying it, working with a lot of other athletes, mm-hmm. professional bodybuilders, uh, you know, professional MMA fighters, professional soccer players, you know, NBA, NFL. I work with a lot of uh, different people through Team Flex Wheeler. He and I, uh, we collaborate and work with, with guys all over the country, all over the world. So we're kind of helping spread that knowledge to them. And then we started... Uh, uh, I invented a, a drink cooler, a beverage cooler. That's a, a shaker bottle inside of a one-gallon beverage cooler. It's kind of like a cooler within a cooler for your pre, during, and post-workout uh, shake and nutrition. And we just got that manufactured and uh, shipped to the U.S. And Europa Sports is going to start distributing that all over the country. So Flex and I will be going on the road this year to um, to market that product. Will be at all four Europa shows. We'll be at the FIBO in Germany. We'll be in Australia. We'll be in at the Olympia, obviously, at the Emerald Cup in Seattle. So we had a big year ahead of us in terms of, uh, of commitments to, to get that business off the ground and just to, you know, see what we can do with it. Um, do, do you prefer the business aspect as opposed to getting ready for a competition? Well, I think they're both the same to me. Yeah. They all, you know, it's all a matter of time management, consistency, perseverance, discipline, those are the aspects. You know, I was never particularly talented in bodybuilding and powerlifting. I was never a straight-A student or, uh, you know, the smartest guy in the room. But I always had that going for me, is that I was, I was, I set a goal, and I would, you know, doggedly pursue that goal consistently day in, day out, with discipline and good time management. And I think that those are the key elements for success. I was talking about this last week at uh, Mark Bell's PowerCast. I said the... You know, if anybody in the bodybuilding industry has realized any level of success, you know, maybe won some state championships or been to the nationals, et cetera, and certainly at a pro level, mm-hmm. if any of those people use the same amount of consistency, discipline, and, and, uh, and uh, perseverance that took them to become a high-level bodybuilder, would apply that to those same methods to any income-producing venture, they'd be a millionaire in five years. There's no question in my mind, because that's really all it is about. And that's what bodybuilding is all about. You know, it's about every hour of sleep, it's about every meal, it's about every workout session, it's about consistency, every day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out. And that's what business is all about. These aren't lucky people or particularly smart or gifted individuals. These are these are determined people. Oh, I see, I see. Goal-oriented folks. Yeah, when you're goal-oriented, you see yourself doing... You know, what you want to do, and you're definitely going to do it. Yeah. And nothing wrong with bodybuilding being your goal. I mean, it's been my passion all my life. Mm-hmm. But when my goal was to make money, and I committed the same amount of 
time and energy and resources and commitment to that, mm-hmm. suddenly I was making money. You know, I've owned uh, four different multi-million dollar companies. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and none of them were because of any particular expertise on my part or luck by any sense of the imagination. It's just because I, you know, I got in there and, and just pursued it, doggedly pursued it day in, day out. Then I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some fun questions now. Um, what was the last sure. movie? What was the last movie you seen? Well, I always forget the names of these movies. I don't know. <laughs> God, <laughs> isn't that terrible? Very I bad. Go to the movie and, and the next day I won't even remember what we saw. Like, didn't we see that movie? <laughs> I can't even I can't even remember. I'll be honest with you. It seems like I've seen too many. I just forget. I can tell you every set and every rep I did at my last leg workout, but I can't tell you the movie I saw last. It's crazy. Oh, man. Of, cor- of course you can remember every rep. Of course you could. Um, any yeah. a, um, any particular show on television you're, you're watching currently? Oh, I'm terrible. I flick back and forth between uh, MSNBC and Fox News. To me, that's the most entertaining bunch of... Oh, you're a Fox watcher? And, oh, man. And, and reality TV. I go back and forth. I'll flick them back and forth and watch... Uh, Fox News and MSNBC, MSNBC and watch those guys just go at each other. <laughs> and other than that, you know, I'm usually a Shark Tank guy. I like to see the, I like to see the small businesses develop, and those are my favorite. Yeah, I love Shark Tank too. You, did you see the episode with DDP on it? What was it? Did you see the episode of Shark Tank with um, DDP on the show? No, I didn't see it. Oh, uh, with the um, I think he was there trying to get money for um DDP yoga, but he got more exposure out of it without even getting to deal with the sharks. So. Yeah, a lot of people do that. Some get on there just to get exposure, don't really want to deal. Yeah, and you know, the other one is the profit. I like watching him. Same kind of thing. Helps develop businesses. And uh, Gordon Ramsay's uh, was that Kitchen Nightmares or something. I like watching people make businesses better. It's it's exciting to me. Oh, are you are you are you um, a wrestling fan? No, I've never been. I never been a big watcher of wrestling. I told you I worked with uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin last year, and that was exciting because he's a character that I've you know followed for many years but uh, yeah. uh, me I've just never been a real real wrestling follower wow I'm saying with your presence and your look and your name you definitely would have made it big if you ever wanted to pursue that you know I, I <laughs> those guys you know call it what you want but they go through a lot yeah, they yeah. go through a lot they live on being killers and injuries and you gotta perform you know 400 times a year it's just amazing yeah, it's 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 soap opera for men, and it's like you know it's, it's the circus, but you know I I still love it to this day. You know? Yeah, I'm a huge follower of the UFC. I really love it. It's I'm uh, here in Vegas. It's here in Vegas. I work with some professional MMA guys. That, yeah. uh, one of them's applying for Tufts here coming up, and you know I get the chance to see all these guys train in the gyms. I bounce around from place to place, so I see uh, I see a lot of the guys uh, that work out here. Uh, Forrest Griffin trains down here at one of the clubs, and Syndicate's got a bunch of pros at it. And, What's your impression of um, Ronda, Ronda Rousey?
Yeah. Um, are you looking forward to the um, Mayweather-Pacquiao fight? And if you are, who do you have? Boy, I don't even know. I always like to see a good fight. I've never wanted to put money on one, but uh, I've been waiting for this one to come for a while. It's here in Vegas, and of course, you know, I've, initially I'm like, oh, I'll get some tickets. You know that the, the ringside seats are going for, uh, I think any floor seat's 25 grand. Jesus. The nosebleed is five grand a seat, the very back row. Five grand a seat. And then, of course, there's people now that they, they buy seats and then they put them on uh, StubHub or Razorgate or to resell them. And some of those front row seats, they're asking 250 grand for that. Oh, that's too much. Unbelievable. Twenty-five is too much. Five is too much. You could definitely watch it on a computer website. There's sites out there you definitely can see it at. But. Yeah, worst, worst case, 50 bucks on pay-per-view and I'm good. But I'm going to watch it. Yeah. But. Or even, or even that, have people come over and everybody chip in five, and you definitely can watch it. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, 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 last question for you: Are you a Star Wars fan? Please say yes. <laughs> Not currently. No, oh, I no. Recent stuff, but I grew up on it. Yeah, you know, I'm being 47, of course. That was our world yeah. growing up. So, but you never catch me, you know, dressing up in one of those suits and going to a Star Wars uh, <laughs> gathering here in town or Comic Con or something wearing it. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> that, that's not me, but of course everybody remembers the, the original few uh, Star Wars that's in my age group. Uh, yeah. It was just you know monumental at the time. Yeah. That's I, funny. Yeah. I can see you. I can see you at a at a Comic Con as He Man or something. You know, with the loincloth and a blonde wig. <laughs> <laughs> not me. I go watch the crazies. I got kids now. I got to set, set an example here. I can't can't be a crazy dad. <laughs> Stan, so plug away where people can find you, your social media outlets, or anything. If you want to plug anything, you definitely can plug. Yeah, always easy to get me at stanefferding.com. And on there, of course, I have all the information for the cooler.com. Cooler with the K, the cooler.com. That's my uh, world's only cooler within a cooler, our patented invention that we're rolling out here. Uh, well, it's going to be in markets uh, next week, as a matter of fact. Europe is going to get the first shipment. Uh, I'll be at all the Europas in the Olympia this year. Uh, I hope to see folks there and check out my cooler at thecooler.com. Thecooler.com. Sweet. Hopefully you guys can get on Shark Tank, get some promotion out there so you could get even more people to buy it. That'd be great. I just don't want to give them any percentage of the business. <laughs> <laughs> Keep all the money for yourself. <laughs> I'm greedy that way. <laughs> Stan, thank you so much, man. I appreciate the interview, man. And you're great. Hey, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for, for thinking of me. Nah, no problem, man. You're you are a legend, and you're right up there. And if anybody wants to see any videos of you, they can definitely check it out on YouTube and see how much you could definitely lift. Yeah, that's what I say now when people ask me how much I can lift. I'm just like, YouTube me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to do all that anymore in the gym. I'm trying to stay healthy. But thank you, I appreciate it. No, nah, no problem. See, that that's definitely a good you know that's a good line too. Like, oh, we're, have I seen your work? YouTube me. You know, that's a good. <laughs> That's your new, new tag on. Stan, YouTube me efforting. That's what you should do. See what I, see what I used to do. <laughs> Thank you so much, Stan. I appreciate it. <laughs>